Last week on HPH, we began the story of Ulysses S. Grant by telling you all about how he was basically kicked out of the military for being a drunk, how every business he started was a laughable failure, and how he was basically a broke-ass bitch with no hope for a grand future. Well, then, a bunch of racists decided they hated America and wanted to fight the government, and Grant re-entered military life. In this week's episode, we're telling you all about Grant's time in the U.S. Civil War, and how he went from a hobo selling firewood to one of the greatest generals the United States has ever seen. It's time to grab a drink, settle in, and enjoy this episode of 100 Proof History titled Ulysses S. Grant Part 2. What's so civil about war anyway? This is 100 Proof History. We're drinking whiskey and talking history. So, grab a drink, sit back, relax. And enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other. Here are your hosts, Chris and Greg. Welcome in, my fellow unionists. Mm-hmm. Also, welcome in, my fellow... Co- Wait, no. No, you are not welcome, Confederates. <laughs> you see this? Means not welcome. <laughs> I've pulled down my shirt and I'm showing a... Uh, American flag tattoo that doesn't exist. Right, yeah. It's something he, he plans on getting to cover up the other tattoo he has there on his, his upper chest. <laughs> the old Edward Norton special <laughs> yeah. for American History X. No, no, no. Fuck both of those people. Agreed. Welcome in as the main host. His name is Gregory said. Welcome in. And I am your sexy host, Christopher. And we're here to tell you all about Ulysses S. Grant. During the Civil War. You know, nice little fun times for America. Yay! One thing I wanted to make clear right now, this is not our Civil War episode. This is not focusing on the Civil War. It's just focused on Grant and the Civil War. So there's a lot of people you're going to hear, maybe some names you know, maybe you got your trading cards out. You're like, oh God, hope they talk about General Buell today because he's my favorite. Like, okay, maybe passing in the story we'll talk about that dude, but otherwise, it's it's about Grant, okay? Maybe we'll come back to the Civil War someday and focus on the shit that happens, but uh, that's not what this is about. Yeah, this is on the man during the event. Right. Not the event during the man, if that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Oh, shit. Fuck. Ah, it's my first time podcasting. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of winging it. Mm. It's very evident. Thank you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's our source today? Well, our source today is the same source as last week. It is Grant by Ron Chernow. One thing I didn't want to talk about, getting further into the book, further into the story, anytime Chernow does a story about someone, he obviously loves that person, and they can do no wrong. Like, they're a very good person, and everything they did had a good reason behind it. And so you see a lot of that in this book and a lot of that in this story. And, uh, you know, we might call some of that into question during the episode where it's like, okay, well, guess that was a good idea. But we're chairing now we'll say, no, 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 no. Here's what he was thinking. Here's what he had in mind when he did that. Uh, you know, when he had all those guys killed, it was, it was purely pragmatic. He was... Yeah, it's the same stuff he did uh, when we did our Washington series and used his book, Washington Alive. Yeah. Man, he just kind of, 
like you said, he falls in love with these people and, you know, anything bad that happens, not their fault. Anything good that happens, oh, it's completely to their credit. Yeah. If they made some questionable moral decisions, well, you know, sign of the times. <laughs> right? Yeah. Even though a lot of it flies in the face of what they were saying. So. Yeah. It's like, uh, he was... And we addressed that in the Washington series about slavery specifically. Mm-hmm. Like we kind of called Washington on his bullshit where he's like, oh, yeah, when I'm dead, those guys are free. Don't fucking, you know, uh, until then they can work for me and really appreciate the fact that I'm giving them a job. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, it's a decent book. Recommend it if you have the time. If not, just listen to your favorite history podcast and, you know, get the. Get the meat of the story. Maybe skip the potatoes. Because, you know, you're low carb in it. You're getting kind of thick. It's okay. It's okay. I love you in all shapes and sizes. But uh, just eat the meat. Listener, we're putting you on keto. <laughs> Trust me. You'll, you'll thank us later. Yeah, you will. When bikini season rolls around, you'll be like, oh, you do love me. Like, yep. Yep. And I was embarrassed to be seen with you before. Don't start sending us listener comments and emails about how... Oh, well, you, my dick doesn't fit in the bikini. Okay. <laughs> Stop bragging. We've heard it before. Jeez. <laughs> Just can't win with these people. I know. I know. They're the worst, but uh, they're all we have. That's all we have going for us, so please don't leave me. <sighs> yeah, that's true. Well, are you ready to start this fucking story? The middle part of this fucking story? Well, I'm, I'm honestly just waiting on you to, to do it. Oh, fuck. So go. Go. I do it? Go. Why don't we switch it up? You do it. You go. No? I tried that once uh, in Sex Life with my wife. I was like, let's switch this thing around. Mm-hmm. And then instead of her pegging me, I actually got to peg Ooh, her. Dangerous I didn't ground. like it as much. I didn't <laughs> like it as much. We went back to her, her pegging me. <laughs> like, this is good for you, but my cum button is severely neglected right now. All right, right. let's start this fucking story. (laughs) When we left you, Ulysses S. Grant had been made colonel of the Illinois militia and had trained them into a lean, mean, fighting machine. The U.S. Army was so impressed with this that they pretty much immediately promoted him to brigadier general and told him he was now in charge of running the District of Southeast Missouri with a focus on defending the Mississippi River. It was around this time that the higher-ups realized just how bad Grant was at paperwork. He had this really bad habit of taking important letters, shoving them in his pockets, and then forgetting they existed. And that's the same thing I do with my debt collectors. You motherfuckers will never find me, you idiots. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I have a P.O. box, you dumb bitches. (laughs) It's not a P.O. box. Yeah. You can't pay your debt, so it's just a Poe box. (laughs) Like one of those old Valentine's boxes just sitting outside on the curb and like, this this clothes we're getting. Just shove that in there. (laughs) Oh, let's attach a sucker to it. Maybe we'll pay attention. I chew, chew, choose you. To pay your fucking bills. Ah, Toss that shit. that one out. Oh, a credit card application. Let me sign that shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's for my eight-year-old daughter. Ah, that's okay. I need to build her credit anyway. <laughs> sign her up. 
My year-old daughter needs a flat-screen TV. She's been complaining that she doesn't have a 60-inch TV in my living room. <laughs> so, <laughs> this will teach her a lesson. She'll get to watch it when Daddy's hungover on Saturday mornings. <laughs> and only then. But uh, it's basically hers. Turn that shit down! Jesus! <laughs> oh, I'm the worst father. Anyway... And so Grant hired a dude named John Rollins to become his chief of staff. Rollins was a teetotaler who decided it was also his job to keep Grant from getting shit-faced all the time. Over the following years, he'd become Grant's biggest supporter and one of his best friends. The two were so close that critics of Grant would later claim that Rollins was actually the one giving all the orders. Which wasn't true, but you know, you gotta shit on Grant where you can shit on Grant, am I right? Mmm, right in the chest. The old Cleveland steamer. At the beginning of the Civil War, the state of Kentucky was doing its damnedest to stay neutral. But in early September of 1861, the Confederates invaded and captured Columbus and created a strong support for the Union, who were now viewed as liberators. Just dropping their Pop-Tarts from the sky, you know, messages that were coming to help you. That's all they were doing. Old Orville Grant and his, his biplane flying over. It's a callback to last episode. Dropping all that popcorn over the populace. <laughs> yeah. Orville Redenbacher Grant. Yes. This is delicious. This is way better than what we've been doing with corn in Kentucky. See? They were wrong from the beginning. <laughs> they were. Grant's like, yes, you are idiots. Give me all of that. <laughs> well, Grant saw an opportunity and decided to move into the town of Paducah, Kentucky. His commander was Major General John C. Fremont. On September 6th, Grant sent two telegraphs to Fremont saying he was planning on taking Paducah, but received no response, you know, probably because Fremont was too busy playing craps in downtown Vegas. Because <laughs> the street's Fremont, Greg. It's, a, it's, it's named after him, but it's also where he, he gambled. In the... Oh, now I get the hilarious joke. Thank you. Please continue. <laughs> I don't want it anymore. Grant held off until 10 p.m. and then launched his attack. When he arrived in Paducah, he captured it without firing a shot. Following that quote-unquote battle, Fremont ordered Grant to only provide shows of force against the Confederates and not to attack them. And that's basically just, hey, we got all these dudes. What the fuck you want to do? You, you want to go? You want to go? Come on. What's up, bro? What's up, bro? You're just sitting there on the river, just waiting for him to come across. But Grant went about that shit. Grant liked throwing punches. Mm. So it was fortunate that in Washington, President Abe Lincoln was tired of his generals not doing shit, so he fired Fremont on November 2nd. On November 6th, Grant launched into battle in the town of Belmont, Missouri. Now this first actual battle for Grant and his men was a little bit chaotic. At first, his men fired wildly at anything that moved, and it was so loud that no one understood their orders. After about four hours, the Union broke through the woods and captured the Confederate camp, and they began to steal anything and everything that wasn't nailed down. But then came a massive Confederate counterattack, and that forced a retreat. And that was disorganized nonsense until Grant calmed his men and led them back to safety. And little known fact, during this battle, the sound of gunfire was so overwhelming that in order to give commands, Grant would walk up behind his men, 
lean in real close to their ear and speak the command directly to them. Like, mm, hey, Lieutenant, I need you to go take that flank over there. That was him just kissing the earlobe. A sign of dominance in the of the time, of course. <laughs> You're looking real good in that uniform. You're filling out nicely. Oh, you're doing such a good job. You're such a good little soldier. Mm, come see me in my tent later for uh, extra orders. <laughs> I want you standing at attention the whole time. I know I will be. Jesus Christ, sir, I can't hit shit with you doing that to me. Come on. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Good, continue, sir. Yes. Fire. <laughs> <laughs> The Union retreated back to Cairo, Illinois, where they spent the winter. Not Cairo, Egypt. So, just so you guys weren't confused. Two different places. It'd be a long retreat. <laughs> Fuck this shit. Fuck this. We're going on a vacation. You ever seen the pyramids? <laughs> Mount up. Grant came up with a plan to launch an amphibious attack against two Confederate forts in Tennessee, but his new commander, General Henry Halleck, shot him down. Halleck thought Grant was a moron and a drunk. Metaphorically. Oh, yeah, he didn't, he didn't actually shoot him. Yeah, no. Yeah. This wasn't a bullet situation. Yeah. He, a bunch of our listeners were like, he fucking shot him? Are you kidding me? What? Holy, I never learned that in history class. The untold history. <laughs> fucking Grant. <laughs> Survived a bullet wound, man, just straight to the face. Fucking crazy. Grant was the T-1000 confirmed. <laughs> just the fucking liquid that metal. That metal poly alloy just... <laughs> Holds up a, a tiny picture of young Robert E. Lee. Have you seen this boy? <laughs> yeah, he uh, he calls up the, the step-parents. Says, how's the house slave? What's the house slave's name? Tom, how's the half-slave Jimmy? Oh, he's doing just fine. Your racist foster parents are dead. <laughs> oh. An old Terminator 2 joke. Uh, yes. Hell yeah. 30-year-old movie. Mm. Met our quota for the week. <laughs> Did it. Well, Halleck thought Grant was a moron and a drunk, and he didn't want anything to do with him. But soon, rumors began to swirl that the rebels were sending more men to Tennessee, and Lincoln was all like, Hey, you gotta do something, bro. Can't just sit there. Am I right? It's a really good Lincoln. Thank you. <laughs> and so, Halleck greenlit Grant's plan. On February 6th, 1862, an attack on Fort Henry was launched. The plan was for Union gunboats to bombard the fort, and then Grant and his troops would take it from the land but it was so rainy that the ground troops got bogged down and they moved a little slowly. They arrived an hour late, only to find that the fort had surrendered to the ships after getting blasted to hell by artillery. Halleck then told Grant to, you know, yeah, okay, good job, you fucking got it, just hold that fort and chill. But Grant said, darn that, I'm going for the next fort. Well, that next fort, Fort Donelson, was way better defended, especially against a naval attack. They made quick work of the ships, forcing Grant to attempt a ground attack. After a few failed waves, he decided to surround the fort and place it under a siege. Just send it in, Stephen Seagal. We got this chef here. 
He's got a lot of uh, super far right leanings, but man, he can just judo chop the shit out of some people. Just get him, baby. And, uh, you know, I, I know he's aging, but if you edit the video just right, and you put in a good five frames per clip <laughs> before you change the angle, man, he, he really looks lightning fast. Yeah, you just gotta make sure he has at least six hours to get in that fucking girdle. Get that fucking gut on there, and we'll put a nice little wig on him, make sure it looks like he still has the, the ponytail, the ass-kicking <laughs> ponytail. <laughs> on February 15th, while the fort was surrounded, the Confederates decided to try and escape. Unfortunately, Grant was at a war meeting with the Admiral of the Gunboats, and he wasn't present when this attack happened. The Union suffered losses and became disorganized. When Grant returned, one of his men said, This army wants a head. To which Grant replied, It seems so. Boom! Mic drop. Motherfucker. Got him. Nailed it. Fucking <laughs> nailed it. You bitches can't do nothing without me. Okay, daddy's back. Here we go. Luckily, the South had suffered heavy losses, too, and had retreated back to the safety of the fort. That night, two of three generals inside the fort, including a general named Pillow, snuck off and abandoned their men. <laughs> you know, what a weird coincidence. You got the Pillow guy and General Pillow, and they're both traitors and hate their country and tried to overthrow the government. It's just crazy how time's a flat circle, man. <sighs> Motherfuckers. <laughs> we should just round up everybody with the last name Pillow. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. And you know what? This is by design. Yeah. They have a, oh, you know what? We're going to be this uh, this group that subverts the government. We're mm -hmm. going to get in control. Hmm. We should change our last name of Darth Crocky into <laughs> something softer sounding. Does anybody have any ideas? <laughs> and you can see where this joke is going. Pillow, continue the story. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next day, the remaining general asked for an armistice to discuss terms of surrender. Grant told him he would accept nothing but an unconditional surrender. The Confederate general had no choice but to accept. Well, this was the first major Union victory of the Civil War, and it made Grant a household name. Soon the papers were calling him Unconditional Surrender Grant. Get it? U.S. Grant. You know, Uncle Sam Grant. Unconditional Surrender. <laughs> so clever. So clever. Sleepy Joe Biden. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Got him. And well-wishers from the North sent him box after box of premium cigars. Before long, Grant was smoking 18 to 20 a day. Just uh, not to spoil episode three, but you guys... Just, you know, if you want to take a guess at what killed Grant, you know, just, just shot in the dark. Or we're accepting guesses on our social media. You know, just have a little contest here. John Wilkes Cancer? Ah, shh, shh. No, don't oh, spoil it. Oh, <laughs> don't spoil it. Also, as a result of his victory, he was promoted to Major General and became the second highest ranking officer in the Western Theater. Now, his superior... Old Henry Halleck was hot pissed that Grant had attacked Fort Donelson without his consent. You always gotta get consent. If I learned anything in college, you gotta get consent. Because I pressed charges against that boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Halleck bitched and moaned at General George B. McClellan, who was the Union's general-in-chief. Together, they slandered Grant to President Lincoln, 
telling him that Grant wasn't sending his troop reports properly and that he was always drunk. Now Lincoln didn't give a shit because Grant had actually won a fucking battle, unlike those two fucking losers. McClellan was so bad at his job that he was soon removed as general-in-chief, and Halleck lost his daddy. At that point, Halleck became super nice to Grant for some reason. Well, at least to his face. You're doing great, buddy. Fucking hate that guy. I love you. I'm gonna fucking fuck his wife and kill him in his sleep. Jeez, calm down, Halleck. Halleck's a maniac. (laughs) What the fuck? I've got issues. I, I was raised in a cage as a boy. Nobody knows that about me. I'm sorry. Maybe these HBH guys will cover me one day. Halleck, calm down. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Begging for stardom over here. Right? Call it. Jeez. Dude, know your role. Sorry, Chris. No, you're good. Yeah, he's a weird he's dude. A wild one. Yeah, yeah. I think he's making it all up. So. <laughs> this hand keeps talking to me, telling me he wants to suck my dick, and I don't believe it. I'm sorry. Yeah, his name's Hambo, and he, he's a real high-pitched voice. He's got googly eyes and lipstick. How's he get that there, Halleck? Are you putting it on him? <laughs> well, yeah, but my mind is compelling me to do it. <laughs> Take him away, boys. Yeah. Take him to the fucking mental institution. <laughs> Everybody knows Hambo isn't real. Yep. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> Just don't let anybody know. Same will happen to you. They'll, they'll take you to a fucking state-run facility. <laughs> Laying under the covers at 3 a.m., I got him pulled up to my neck, and I'm just, like, sweating profusely. I'm like, He's not real. He's not real. And my wife's like, what is wrong with you? Shh, she'll hear you. He'll hear you, and he'll come. And then I'll come. And she's like, what? What is happening? I t- Shh, I told you to shut up. Shh, shh. First, you've had me wrap your hands in saran wrap every night for three months. <laughs> I had to burn Just all my lipstick. <laughs> and now this? This is a bridge too far, Christopher. <laughs> and Gregory, depending on whose wife this is in the story. <laughs> she falls back asleep. She's snoring. And Chris, come out and play. Like, oh no. Don't you want to tell the bitch about it? Come up. I can't hear what he's... What is he saying? You unwrap the saran wrap. Don't tell that bitch about us no more. Oh, <laughs> God. Okay. Oh. <laughs> and Christopher. Kisses you on the cheek. You're like, oh, fuck. I gotta wash oh, my face gross. now. Oh, gross. It's disgusting. <laughs> Give me a kiss on the lips. No. No. Shut up. No. no I won't do... Well, mm, do hambo. <laughs> Let's run away together. You know what this is. We'll go. We'll go to San Juan Taneo. <laughs> You're like just those, my side piece. Like those two boys in the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> we'll have a boat. And we'll finish it together, and then I'll finish you every night, Hambo. No, I'll finish you. All right, all right, let me let me sneak out of bed. Greg, what are you doing? <laughs> no, nothing. Nothing. Just rewrapping my hand in Saran wrap. <laughs> Sorry, Hambo. Maybe another time. In another place. And then he quantum leaps back to the Civil War. <laughs> that all sounds historically accurate, Chris, so uh, let's continue this historically accurate story. Sounds good. Well, next up for Grant was the vital railway hub town of Corinth, Mississippi. In April of 1862, he moved across the Tennessee River to a spot known as Pittsburgh Landing and moved into the woods near Corinth. Now, he wanted to attack immediately, 
but he is ordered by Halleck to wait for troops under the command of General Don Carlos Buell. Just wanted to do the TV anchor thing, you know. Of course. Well, Grant didn't figure he'd have to wait long, so he decided not to build defensive fortifications and instead focused on training the raw green recruits serving under his best bud, William Tecumseh Sherman. On April 4th, as he was riding back from camp in the rain, Grant's horse slipped and fell on Grant's leg, causing him to suffer a pretty serious ankle injury. And so, he was lying in bed on a steamboat on April 6th, when 40,000 Confederates under the command of General P.G.T. Beauregard launched a sudden attack on his position. Sherman did his best to hold the line, but soon the Union was overrun and forced back to the coastline in Pittsburgh Landing. Grant hobbled off the boat, was hoisted onto his horse, and began to give orders. Well, that afternoon when Buell arrived, he asked Grant when he planned to retreat. Grant said, I haven't despaired of whipping them yet. Then, when a scout standing next to Grant had his head blown off, splattering Grant with blood and brains, Grant simply said, Not beaten yet by damn sight. Kind of badass. I mean, it's heartless as fuck, but it's kind of like, <laughs> I'm an awesome dude. Nothing phases old Grant, you know? Yeah, it's uh, kind of self-aggrandizing at that point. It's like, dude, somebody just fucking died for this shit right, <laughs> right next, to, next you, to you, and you're just kind of making it about how you feel about this. Come on, man. Takes out one of his cigars, puts his mouth, leans down, lights a match on the guy's corpse, and lights the fucking cigar. Yeah. And tosses the match back down. Not beaten by a damn sight. We fucking got this, fellas. Oh, this one's got a hint of fish. It must be one of those new Lewinskys. <laughs> yes, we did it. Well, the fighting died down that night. When Sherman reported to Grant, he said, Well, Grant, we've had the devil's own day, haven't we? Grant said, Yes. Took a long drag from his Lewinsky cigar and then said, Lick them tomorrow, though. I need to take up smoking cigars just because you could be so, like, laconic. Yeah. Or just have, like, the perfect one-liner after you say yes. And you're like, fuck, what am I going to say next? <laughs> That's extra long toke you're taking there. Just take a couple puffs. So what's the deal with airline food, huh? <laughs> yeah, and then you everybody considers you a comedic genius at that point. Mine would be, yes, long drag, followed by four minutes of coughing. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I'm sorry. Edit this part out when you tell the story. <laughs> uh, lick him tomorrow, though. <laughs> Room spinning. Anybody else's room spinning right now? That's a strong fucking cigar. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I knew Lewinsky got a president impeach. I didn't think it'd make me cough this much, though. God damn. <laughs> got him a key. <laughs> well, at 4 a.m., Grant, reinforced by Buell's troops, launched an attack. By 2.30 that afternoon, the South was in full retreat. The battle, which became known as the Battle of Shiloh, resulted in 23,000 combined deaths, which was more than the Revolutionary War, the War of 1812, and the Mexican-American War combined. And little known fact, prior to the Battle of Shiloh, Grant had hoped one big victory would force the Confederates to crumble. 
but the fight they put up there changed his mind. It was there that he began to think that to win the war, the Union would have to force the collapse of Southern society through total war. Well, after Shiloh, the Golden Child Grant was torn to pieces in the Northern press. They said he was caught off guard, that he wasn't even there when his men came under the attack, and that too many Union soldiers had been killed, and of course that he was hammered drunk the whole time. My man. In Washington, generals and senators began to clamor for Grant's removal, but Abraham Lincoln, who had been dealing with inept and hesitant leaders in the East, kept the faith, and he said, I can't spare this man. He fights. That's my best Lincoln impersonation. Because he did... It's really good. He did... He had a little bit of a higher... It's really good. (laughs) Thank you. No one knows. He's dead. No one knows what he sounded like. Everyone... Whoever heard him is dead. So I can, he can sound however the fuck I want him to sound, Greg. You can't possibly know that for sure. I'm just throwing that in there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Well, General Henry Halleck was soon called to Washington to be an advisor to the president, and Grant was placed in charge of the entire Western theater of the war. Throughout 1862, he made small gains in Mississippi. He also began to hire escaped slaves to assist with keeping his supply lines operational and began to consider allowing them to fight for the Union. One of the things that struck me as odd and probably really awkward at the time was they would free these guys from the plantations they captured and then ask them to work the plantations they captured to provide cotton for the North. We're like, no, 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 we're going to pay you this time, I swear. I swear to God. You know, you, you just just hang out there in the same place you've been living for you know, your entire life because you had no choice and you got kidnapped from your homes. But I swear to God, we're going to pay you this time. We're going to give you five bucks, you know? Just to, I get that. Yeah. But, and yeah, it is probably taking advantage of a situation. Mm-hmm. But you have to understand, these people, the only discernible skills typically that they would have are the ones that had to do with the reason they were enslaved, what they were right. brought up, you know, this is how you do this. And so that's all they knew. It's unfortunate as fuck. But they were being paid, and they did not have to agree to that. But be- put yourself in their position, what the fuck else were they going to do? Right. And, um, you know, I like to make jokes, but to be fair, they did view this as liberation. They were very happy that the North was there, and they were more than happy to work for money and freedom, and be able to do whatever the fuck they wanted to do, as opposed to, you know, obviously being enslaved. I'm just being an idiot. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make that clear for the listener. Yeah. But on the not-so-great side of Grant, you know, he he was helping the slaves, but uh, also, he took every opportunity he could to slip away from his chief and staff, John Rollins, and get hammered on whiskey. He's like, hey, I gotta go out of town on business, so I'll be back in three days, man. I'll be looking pretty gaunt, pretty pale, <laughs> yeah. and I'll be very, very thirsty for water. Yeah. But I'll be back, none the now, worse for wear. The funny thing is, they said this dude is like impervious to hangovers, which a lot of alcoholics are. But this dude could only drink a tiny amount, apparently, too. He was he was very similar to me in the regard where he can go a long time without drinking, and then... He put one in front of him, and he's like, well, okay, well, I guess I'll have another. <laughs> Give me 12 more. <laughs> and, you know, he wakes up the next day, I'm never drinking again. Never fucking doing that shit again. I feel terrible. Oh, God. 
oh, we got a podcast tonight. Well, fuck, I guess I'm getting hammered tonight. All right, let's do it. Now, one thing Grant would do to his credit is he would never actually get drunk or be drunk in front of his men. You know, he made it a point to do that. And I made the same promise uh, about my child, wouldn't get drunk in front of her. And that lasted about two years. And then I realized she was conscious of what was happening and I couldn't keep up with that fucking lie anymore. <laughs> I'll never get drunk in front of her. But, uh, all right, I'm, I'm going to start now. When she actually is formulating memories and shit. That's when you start. <laughs> yeah. You didn't take advantage of the you know first no. couple of years where they don't remember shit. Yeah. Love it. Well, in early 1863, Grant was given the green light to attack the city of Vicksburg, Mississippi. If he could capture it, the Union would have control of the entire Mississippi River, which would cut the Confederates off from supplies from the western U.S. But Vicksburg was comprised of multiple forts stretching seven miles along the banks of the Mississippi. It was going to be a tough nut to crack. Well, Grant knew he'd have to attack from the south, so in April of 1863, he snuck gunboats down the river using the cover of darkness. That placed him between the Confederate armies of Vicksburg and Jackson, Mississippi. Using Napoleon's trusted strength of central position strategy, Grant first attacked and captured Jackson, and then turns his attention on Vicksburg. And little known fact, in January of 1863, Julia and the kids had joined Ulysses S. Grant on the front. His oldest son, Fred, stayed with Ulysses as he marched through Mississippi. Following the victory at Jackson, Fred Grant was grazed on the right thigh by a bullet during a skirmish with Confederate forces. And this reminds me when uh, my summer camp counselor caught me with scratch marks on my inner thigh mm -hmm. i mean there you know there was four of them at about the spacing of a human hand right but yeah. uh i also of course uh blamed confederate bullets <laughs> and it didn't work it was uh <laughs> no it was actually it was the gay conversion camp my parents sent me to Oh, when you were 37 when years old? When I was old? 26. <laughs> okay. It was the first stint. I got you. First stint, yeah. But. You're like, you like stuff some money in his pockets. This, this, this will just, uh, maybe this will make things blow over just a little better. He takes it out and it's all Confederate money. He's like, what the fuck is this shit? Why do you tell me this story about Confederate bullets and you shove this fucking Monopoly money in my pocket? He's like, well, you know, it's just what we use in the South. We shall be avenged. And he's like, you got any fucking U.S. dollars? And I, I pull out some ones. <laughs> he pulls out the boom box. He presses play. That's how I knew my parents were never going to know. <laughs> this is the best camp ever. <laughs> Suck it theater camp. I was just bi-curious before my parents sent me here. This gay conversion camp has been a success. I realized I am fully a homosexual. I love you, camp counselor. Please marry me. I'm no longer curious at all. I don't have anything to do with those breeders out there. <laughs> and then he broke your heart and you just had to settle for your wife. <sighs> just let's keep that between you and me. Well, I mean... Your wedding toast was a glib affair. I'm just going to say, you know. Why? The best, the best man was up there just crying his eyes out. Like, you chose her. Her. Steve Buscemi up there. He's like, best man. More like better man. 
<laughs> All right, let's keep going. <laughs> I love you, Steve. Well, by May 18th, Grant had Vicksburg surrounded with 31,000 Confederate forces trapped inside. Now, at first, he attempted a few direct attacks that resulted in several thousand Union casualties. And that didn't work, so he settled in for another long siege. And he got bored. And he got drunk. In fact, in June, a doctor prescribed him wine for his frequent migraine headaches, which led to Grant getting white girl wasted on Merlot. I don't know, Doc. Like I keep drinking this and keep getting headaches. Like every I wake up every morning and there's a there's worse headaches. Like, no, 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 just keep 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 going, man. You just gotta keep you know, keep pounding that stuff. It'll it'll cure the headaches eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot. Well, the Confederates began to starve as Grant's forces cut off their food supplies and hammered the city with artillery fire. The citizens grew so desperate that they tore down their houses to use the wood to build ships that sank hopelessly in the mighty Mississippi. By July 4th, 1863, the Confederates had enough and surrendered the city, giving complete control of the Mississippi River to the Union. When Abe Lincoln received word, he said, Grant is my man, and I am his. I'm sorry. For the rest of the war. (laughs) And you know what? Things were only going to get better. Because his future's so bright, he's got to wear shades. Mm. Well, that feels like a uh, good place to take a break. You know, he's he's captured the West. What's going to happen in the East, man? Who knows? Nobody knows. Greg knows. But he's not going to tell you. Yes, I am. Oh, shit. He's going to do it. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> After this break, that's about 10 seconds long, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you everything you want to know. Get yourselves mentally and prepared more. for that shit. Just get ready. Just get ready. Here it comes. Maybe add some personal anecdotes in that you didn't even want to hear. But you know what? <laughs> you have a comprehensive understanding about Grant mm-hmm. and the people that research him. That's right. That's right. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome back from break. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I know I enjoyed mine. Greg, how you doing? How you feeling right now? I'm fine. You look good. You look like you're in the zone. Like you're like, man, there's not much that can make my day better right now. But I, I think I know one thing. Oh? Can make your day better. But since I'm not there to give you my secret mouth surprise, we're just going to have to settle for some second half seltzers. Damn it! Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half And a three, a two, one. Pop them if you got them, ladies. Mm. Yes. Delish. Well, all right. Well, now we have our refreshment, and you know we're uh, we're in the mood, I suppose. Greg, why don't you? Tell these people the rest of this part of the story. Sir, yes, sir. Yes, authority. I don't know what to do with that. I'm so nervous (laughs) now. 
I've never been a leather daddy before. <laughs> Following his victory at Vicksburg, Grant was promoted to Major General. But wait, you, the astute listener, who actually pays attention to the story, say, wasn't he already a Major General? Well, he was a Major General over the Volunteers. Now he was a Major General over the regular army, which was a pretty big accomplishment for a dude who had resigned in disgrace a decade earlier. Over the summer of 1863, Grant was paraded around and heralded as a hero and got into another horse-riding accident that may or may not have, but definitely was the result of him being drunk. <laughs> this guy, just like hammered drunk. Like, I, it's funny the idea of me of riding a horse while drunk. Like, how that would go. Like, the horse is like, what the fuck is this guy doing back there? You know, it's a sentient being. It's not like your fucking car, unless you drive a Tesla. And then the Tesla's like, what the fuck is this guy doing inside me? Which is, you know, also a question I've asked when there was a drunk guy behind me. But, you know, it's neither here <laughs> nor there. I don't know. Maybe he's on peyote, too. Like, uh... The dudes in Young Guns, that old movie. Oh, yeah. They got, like, high on the He's riding desert. his horse backwards, and he's like, I'm in the fucking spirit world, asshole. <laughs> and he starts throwing up everywhere. <laughs> Man, it's like that. Like, just way too out there to to actually ride a horse. <laughs> you know, pulled. some people, it's yeah. like they can uh, they can drink, and you can tell when they're drunk. And then there's other people where they drink, and they, like, lose control of their faculties. Like, the people right. that... Go the wrong way on the freeway. Right, I've been yeah. extremely drunk many times in my life, and I could not imagine a scenario where that happens to me. Right. You know, everybody just handles it differently. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe like, that's him. He has well, a couple couple cordials, and all of a sudden, you know, he's in the male brothel. He's riding his horse down the wrong side of the road. He's getting pulled over by the horse cops. They got the sirens on the horses. They're just doing their wee wee noises behind him. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to do the touch his finger, say his ABCs backwards, he fails, they have to impound his horse, you know, put it on a horse tow truck, all that shit. Yes. He should have got an Uber. That's all I'm saying. This was a literal one-to-one -one comparison. Thank you. <laughs> well, by the fall, it was time for Grant to get back to work. There had been talk of placing him in charge of the war in Virginia, but he still had unfinished business in Tennessee and he wasn't a super big fan of how political the war was on the East Coast. He headed back to Tennessee, where he joined the Army of the Cumberland, the Army of the Tennessee, and part of the Army of the Potomac into one fighting force, with designs on taking Missionary Ridge, which overlooked the city of Chattanooga. Very boring ridge, if you ask <laughs> right? me. Right, yeah. Very run-of-the-mill ridge. Yeah, if he'd taken doggy-style ridge, they would never seen it coming. But he was right there on Missionary Ridge making eye contact with him the whole time. Well, of course they'd never see it coming if it was doggy style Ridge. Because <laughs> they'd be looking the opposite way. So. Yeah. Yeah. But instead, they got that Missionary Ridge where you got the weird upward angle. You got all the double chins. You're making your fucking vinegar strokes face. You think you look so sexy. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> oh. Great, now I'm never going to be comfortable doing that again. Thank you <laughs> for ruining it for me. The only position I truly enjoy in life. <laughs> you know, I just slip it through my boxers with the lights out. She can't see my double chin with the lights out. Right, that's true. She can imagine you're an entirely different person at that point. 
Which actually reminds me of our story, because around this time, Julia Grant started calling Ulysses Victor. Like, hey, you're the winner. And it was really just a cover for, you know, what she was doing while he was in the military and she was being that typical, uh, you know, mm. across seas military Jody wife. got to her. Yeah. But then he was, then he was into it. And he's like, yes, call me Victor. Call me Victor. Who's your Victor? <laughs> She's like, you, and I love how your beard covers your double chin, and I can't see it, but would you please put out that cigar? And he's like, ah, ha, ha, this is my thing now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Grant's plan called for a direct attack, while Sherman flanked to the top of the mountain. The assault was launched on November 23rd, and uh, it didn't go very well initially. Sherman was forced back, and the flanking maneuver failed. Two days later, Grant ordered a frontal assault on the rifle pits at the base of the mountain. The Union easily took these. Now, the plan was for them to hold these pits and then try another flanking run, but the soldiers took it upon themselves to just keep charging up the steep mountain, and they killed the shit out of the rebels. Yeah, they were like, what the fuck are they doing? They're coming straight at us. <laughs> Fucking crazy <laughs> bastards. When the thing was, like, Grant wasn't upset at all by them taking the initiative because that was kind of his thing. Yeah. I think it's one of those, hey, I'm not there. If you see it and you can justify it, do it. But if you fuck up, well, then you got to answer to me. Yeah, it couldn't be one of those things where it's like, where'd you learn this? Who taught you this? And I learned it by watching you, dad. It's like, no, <laughs> he was cool with it. He's like, oh, sweet. My son's a pothead. Yeah, all right. <laughs> you want to listen to Pink Floyd? Like, oh, God damn it. Oh, don't ruin this for me, Dad. Don't don't make this a thing. I don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> well, the man who led that charge was Major General Philip Sheridan, and he would go on to play a big role in Grant's war plans. Once again, Grant was hailed as a hero and was given a diamond-hilted sword from the people of Galena, Illinois, and a gold medal from the president. And in December, Congress resurrected the rank of Lieutenant General and gave it to Grant making him only the third in U.S. history to hold that rank. At first, Lincoln was hesitant to bring the rank back, because there were rumors swirling that Grant wanted to be president, but Grant shot those rumors down pretty quickly. Yeah. He said, I got no interest in politics. You know, I never want to be president. That's never going to fucking happen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Said future president Ulysses <laughs> S. Grant. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but I fully believe him at this time. I do too. And for those of you guys that are kind of confused at the general ranks in the mm. U.S. military, uh, a good little mnemonic to remember him is "Be my little general," mm -hmm. and that those letters stand for like "B" is Brigadier General, mm -hmm. and then it goes Major General, Lieutenant General, and General of the Army. So. Just in case that's kind of like, wait, he's a fucking lieutenant general, now he's a major? I don't get it. He's he's going up in the ranks and close to the top. General Army wasn't a thing even at this point. Lieutenant General was as high as you could get. And it didn't yes, even exist. This is just for like yeah, going, going forward. forward throughout yeah. all of U.S. history. Those, yeah. are, those are the ranks. Yeah. And the two before him were George Washington, who the rank was created for, while he led the army in the Revolutionary War. And Winfield Scott, but for Winfield Scott, it was called a, a Brevet rank. I'm not saying that right. I think it's Beverett. 
Beverett, thank you. Uh, and basically, that's like, yeah, we're giving you this rank, but you don't actually have the authority of this rank. It's like a, it's like almost a temporary probationary sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So because Grant was, a, he has several Beverett ranks throughout his yeah. up and up and coming. Yeah, yeah. And so, for all intents and purposes, Grant really is the second uh, lieutenant general in American history. But you know, Winfield Scott was kind of in the middle, so we kind of want to be technically correct. But this is a big deal. This is pretty fucking big. Over the first few months of 1864, Grant was paraded around Washington and celebrated much to the chagrin of his hetero life partner, William Sherman. You see, Tecumseh Sherman deplored politics and hated how they affected war. And what's more, he thought Grant was kind of just okay as a general and probably wasn't the right dude to run an entire army. But he didn't say any of that to Grant, of course, who was busy meeting with the president, who was, uh, Practically simping for Grant 24-7. He loved Grant. He fucking loved mm. him. And we'll do yeah, a show on Sherman at some point, I'm sure, and get more into his motivations and that crazy motherfucker. But yeah, he was Grant's best friend, but he's like, I don't think Grant should be fucking leading. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. you got to know your friend's weaknesses. Like, if they made me leader of the army, Greg would be like, what the fuck are they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> No, man, I'd fully support you. E2, Gregory? (laughs) Yeah. Be the first (laughs) knife in the back. Like, the only knife in the back. (laughs) You guys aren't joining in? Just me? Just, just, okay. All right, well, I'll finish the job. I got got 30-something more stabs to go by myself. (laughs) Fine, fuck you guys. Carve you up, Chris. (laughs) Well, but none of the politics in the grandstanding mattered if the Union lost the war and they still had to deal with the best the South had to offer, General Robert E. Lee. By 1864, Lee was on the defensive. His attempted northern campaign had ended in disaster at Gettysburg, so now he was back to fighting on his home turf in Virginia. What's more, with Grant's victories in the West, he was running dangerously low on supplies and manpower. While Grant was partying in Washington, the Confederacy had extended military conscription to all white males between 17 and 50 years old. Grant knew his advantages were in manpower and manufacturing, and he knew that he could replace fallen soldiers, while the South simply could not. And as opposed to his predecessors, he didn't give two fucking farts about capturing cities. He said, quote, I look upon the conquering of the organized armies of the enemy as being of vastly more importance than the mere acquisition of territory. That's my grant. That's good. I love it. I do Thank love you. it. <laughs> it's dangerously close to your Shakespearean. Uh, no, that would reading. be. I look upon the conquering <laughs> of the organized armies. <laughs> anyway, continue your thought, Chris. Um, that's what separated him from the other Union generals. Somebody like McClellan would capture territory, and he's like, "Okay, we fucking did it. Look at it. We won this battle. We drove the South off, and then wouldn't follow that up." And that's what Grant was like, no, you got to just kill as many motherfuckers as you can until they stop fighting. Yeah, that's a fair point. Fair point. Thank you. I don't have to like it, but it's fair. (laughs) It's true, though. Grant devised a strategy that involved advancing simultaneously on five different fronts. He and General George Meade would make a direct assault on Lee in an attempt to drive him back toward the Confederate capital of Richmond, Virginia. And George Meade would later be famous for inventing the Trapper Keeper, the one with the Lamborghini on front specifically. So, 
little history fact for you. I started to be like, what? And then I remembered, yeah, those were made by Mead. Yes. What a what a joke. Yes. What an all-time joke. <laughs> that, so obscure. That 30 to 34 demographic is fucking dying right now, okay? I think that's the 35 to 45. Right <laughs> oh, there. shut up. Shut up. <laughs> You're old. I'm not old. You're old. <laughs> well, at the same time, General Benjamin Button. He was a baby giving orders. <laughs> Tiny old baby. <laughs> no, Benjamin Butler would attack Richmond from the southeast. General Franz Siegel would destroy Confederate supply lines in the Shenandoah Valley. And General Sherman would take Atlanta. Mm-hmm. 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 Take it. He's going he's to take an interesting path <laughs> to, that, uh, to that verb. But yeah. yeah. To support all of this, he made Philip Sheridan commander of the Union Cavalry. Before the two sides officially met in battle, they sized each other up like sweaty, mm. glistening, muscular mm. boxers at a weigh-in. Oh, I love boxing. Keep it together, keep it together. <laughs> I'll hit you below the belt, you sweaty... Listening, boxer. <laughs> Get out of here. No. No, Hambone. You're not even in my weight class. I taped you up and put you in a glove. How can I still hear you? <laughs> See me after the match. Wish me luck. Give me a kiss real quick. <laughs> oh, it's not, the, it's not the same as the kiss we shared the other night, but <laughs> I look forward to that later. Mm. My trainer says we're not allowed to have contact until after the fight. Says it, it ruins my fighting spirit for some reason. Lowers the testosterone. <laughs> well, Grant was thoroughly unimpressed with Lee and thought his victories had mainly been because of the incompetence of Grant's predecessors. Lee thought George B. McClellan was a far better general than Grant and said Grant's, quote, Talent and strategy consists in accumulating overwhelming numbers, end quote. I'm a racist, end quote. Sorry. Yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> Sherman clapped back, quote, Grant's strategy embraced a continent, Lee's a small state. Grant's logistics were to supply and transport armies thousands of miles, where Lee was limited to hundreds, end quote. Yeah, and that's something our main source really harps on, is the fact that Lee was and Grant were probably on equal footing when it came to being a tactician, being in the moment in the battle, right? They could shift and win battles, lose battles, improvise and all that. But Lee was not a good strategist because he didn't have a very big overarching plan like Grant had. Like Grant was like, like he didn't see the big picture. Yeah, Grant was like, I, I think I pointed out last. Yeah, episode. last episode. Yeah, um, and that's kind of I, I agree. Shout with out, that. shout out to me. <laughs> yes, shout out to previous Greg for being correct. No, I I do agree with that. I think he was really good in the moment, but if you asked him to come up with a overarching war plan it was basically like i don't know don't fucking lose when 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 that's my plan run the yeah, he, run the touchdown play you know <laughs> but why don't you just do the touchdown play every play <laughs> yeah. i don't get it yeah yeah no he was uh very good at commanding a singular army yeah not a bunch of forces yeah whereas grant could see the big picture and grant was like you know if we lose a battle here but i win three other battles over here across the country, I'm winning the fucking war. Mm-hmm. And that was it the was big also difference. A, 
pretty good tactician. He was. Yeah. There were times where he got too sucked into his own plan. It's kind of like Washington. Where it's like, I have a great plan. This isn't going fucking great, but I'm going to stick with it and see how this goes. Oh, shit. It's still not going great. Oh, shit. It's still not going great. Oh, okay. Well, fuck it. It was still a good plan. And that's why I say pretty good, because like we animated earlier, um, Chernow really likes to yeah. just, man, everything this dude did was kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Not so much, but he, he wasn't bad. He was pretty good. Yeah. Above average. Yeah. And we'll but get, especially on strategy. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. And we'll get a little bit more into that as we go along. But uh, no, we're going to spoil it right now. And you know what? <laughs> Since I like to see the world burn. Mm-hmm. Another spoiler. Yeah. Grant eventually dies. So. No. No. So, Mm-mm. yeah. Mm-mm. Sorry to ruin your little <clears throat> little fucking Mm-mm. nice package narrative to the listener, Chris. He <sighs> dies, everybody. And you know what? His kids are dead, too. Shit. You know, <laughs> I, I hadn't finished the book yet. I had no idea fucking that. God, come on, man. I was having a good time. Well, well, you entered the fucking world of Greg. <laughs> you got burned. Greg ruins all good times. Fuck your good time. <laughs> you don't have the good times I allow you to have. <laughs> all right. Well, little known fact, Greg. Unlike Grant, Lee was very much concerned with the capture and retention of territory. During an 1862 Confederate cabinet meeting, Lee tearfully shouted, Richmond must not be given up. It must not be given up. That's, that's my lady. Clutching his poly pocket set in his diary in the other yeah. hand. Yeah. <laughs> well, by late April, the Virginia roads were drying out, and it was finally time for Grant to launch his attack. On May 4th, Grant crossed the Rapidan River, and began what was known as the Overland Campaign, which would turn out to be seven weeks of brutal death fests. Death fest! Death fest! On May 5th, the two armies met in a heavily forested area known as the Wilderness. Very, very <laughs> Real creative name. Good, good job, guys. <laughs> the first day of the battle was inconclusive, and Grant who wanted to always be on the offensive, called for an attack at 4.30 a.m. the next morning. General George Meade said, Hey man, my dudes are super tired from marching, crossing a river, and immediately fighting. Can we rest up a little bit? Yeah. So Grant, you know, being the kind and benevolent leader that he was, he uh, he decided to let them launch the attack at 5 a.m. instead, 30 <laughs> minutes later. That extra 30 minutes planned. makes all the fucking difference, man. You, you hit that snooze hey, button a few I, you times. You know what? Yeah, exactly. I bet these, <laughs> half these motherfuckers out here hit snooze when the alarm goes off. <laughs> yeah. I was regimented as, as myself. Right. Once it goes off, I'm up. You know, I'm fucking up. To be honest, I am too. Because even if I hit the snooze button, I'm going to spend seven of those nine minutes going, oh, when's the alarm going off? When's it going to go yeah. off? When's it going to go off? Wait. Is it going to work? Yeah. What if, what if it doesn't work? And I'm sleeping. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. And Nobody will smell the booze on me. No. <laughs> this isn't even my bed. Oh, shit. I need to get up so my wife doesn't know I snuck out last night. Fuck. <laughs> I'm not sure how long my drive to work is from here. <laughs> yeah. Boy, am I tired. <laughs> yeah. 
You think there's a lot of cops on this route? Because I'm going to be swerving. I mean, let's just be honest here, you know? <laughs> but if I Uber in, there's going to be more questions. So let's just fight through it and fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Get on that horse and go the wrong way down the road. See if they stop me. Ooh, so dangerous. The next day, after Grant had a pickle and coffee for breakfast, <laughs> one of the <laughs> old American classics, right? the battle began once more. At first, the Union made great strides towards victory, but General James Longstreet reorganized the fleeing Confederates and launched a counterattack. During the fighting that day, the artillery shot caught the dry trees on fire, roasting hundreds of wounded men to death, with many committing suicide to avoid the flames. Like, I'm just reading about this and just the accounts of they were just hearing the men screaming there from the outside and then they'd hear the occasional shot and yeah. the screaming stop. Oh, God. Yeah, it was rough. A lot of this and there's a, a few later battles that remind me a whole lot of the World War One stuff. Mm-hmm. One thing I don't mention, there's, there's going to be a battle later where uh, Grant does the whole mine thing where they dig under the enemy lines and plant a bunch of explosives and it was exactly like world war one where they detonated it and then they rushed the crater and then all of a sudden they're being shot from above the crater because they're like what the fuck do we do now and it was so crazy to me reading that that like 50 years later they hadn't figured that shit out like well okay let's do the same stuff (laughs) yeah reading the outline i was uh surprised to not see that story in in here just because it's so interesting yeah it is it's it's a and the Confederates need, knew about it. They knew it was coming. Yeah, and they still, I mean, they still got blown to hell by it, just they like did. you know the Germans yeah. did in uh, Verdun or uh, uh, Ypres, like we talked about. They, they mm-hmm. knew they were digging, you know. But yeah, it was it was a crazy story because it was so much like World War One and Vicksburg and this and another siege later. It's like okay, these guys went through this shit, and fifty years later, you're like, let's try that again. Let's see how that works out. Just a just a weird bit of history. Those that don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I I've known about the uh, alcoholism that runs in my family for generations. <laughs> I guess I'm not that much a student of history. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that's a stupid idiom anyway, because those who know history, they're like, oh, that was a great fucking idea. Let's do that again. You see a lot of Napoleon tactics in the Civil War. Like, huh, I worked for him 60 years ago. I bet you it'll work for us. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, during the Battle of the Wilderness, the Union would suffer 17,000 casualties, and the Confederacy would lose 11,000 of their own. On May 7th, Grant attempted to move to the southeast to get between Richmond and Spotsylvania Courthouse. Lee beat him there, and a 13-day battle ensued in which thousands more were wounded or killed. One area, known as the Bloody Angle, devolved into vicious hand-to-hand combat. This battle also featured the last offensive launched by Lee, which was successfully repelled by Grant. That said, after 13 days, not much had changed, and Grant continued to move southeast to try and outflank Lee. Meanwhile, General Lee was starting to panic about his situation a little, saying, quote, We must destroy this army of Grant's before he gets to James River. If he gets there, it will become a siege, and then it will be a mere question of time. End quote. I like to picture him always crying. So, 
<laughs> we gotta take this land. Who's gonna get it? Yeah, it's gonna I be don't think that's at all accurate, but <laughs> fair enough. I like to picture him in devil's horns with a ball gag in his mouth. His <laughs> penis just hanging out of his trousers all times. Tiny penis. Well, Lee moved his army to a town named Cold Harbor in the hopes of intercepting Grant there. But Grant was also hoping to run into Lee's army and end this thing once and for all. So when Phil Sheridan and the cavalry... That's a good band name. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Phil Sheridan and the cavalry. All right, fair enough. But yeah, when Phil Sheridan and his cavalry took Cold Harbor, Grant advised him to hold it at all costs. Grant figured if he took and held Cold Harbor, he'd have a road to the James River and a road into Richmond. He rushed troops there to back up Sheridan and took control of the city on June 1st. That night, he considered his next move. He could attack Lee, who hadn't had time to build proper defenses, or he could try and swing south, hook up with Butler, and then launch an attack. He figured sissy-ass George McClellan would avoid the fight, so he decided to do the opposite and attack at first light the next day on June 2nd. The only problem was, his men were once again tired and hungry and wanted to get out their mats and take a little nap. No oh, snooze time. Turn on the Teletubbies and you just fall asleep. Dude, those animal crackers, they put you out. That's wolf they day. do. <laughs> he hadn't said anything in this back half. You're right. Mm-mm. This time, Grant obliged and delayed the attack until the next day, June 3rd. In the interim, Lee and his army built fortifications and trenches in the swampy area around Cold Harbor. Even though the Union outnumbered the Confederates by a ratio of 2 to 1, they were absolutely slaughtered when they launched their attack and lost 7,000 men. Cold Harbor was deemed, quote, not war but murder, and Grant became known as the Butcher. Just on the base. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Grant the Butcher. Rocking the four strings. <laughs> Now, just going by the numbers, the Overland Campaign was a disaster for Grant. He had lost 65,000 troops compared to the 35,000 lost by the Confederates. But just as Grant knew, Lee couldn't replace those soldiers. This was a war of attrition at this point. Yeah. And he had pushed Lee 80 miles to the south, had cut him off, and had prevented him from ever going on the offensive again. If Grant was losing the battles... He was winning the war. And little known fact, that year, lots of people called for Grant to be removed, but Lincoln once again stuck by him. And he was still so popular that in June, Grant received 22 delegate votes to be the Republican nominee for president. Now, he once again said, hey man, I don't, I don't want that fucking gig. I don't want to be president. And those delegates soon changed their votes to Lincoln. Yeah, that reminds me of our uh, episodes on Garfield. You know, and his nomination, (laughs) like he kept getting more and more delegates and he's like, no, no, please. Please stop. No. And instead of changing it to, you know, the more popular person of the party, they're like, no, fuck you. Because he got more and more every vote. He got up to give a speech for John Sherman to come to his brother. He's like, hey, this guy should be president. And everybody's like, man, that was a really fucking good speech. Make that guy president. (laughs) Wait, 
No. No, 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 no. No, not at me. I don't want it. I don't want it. I'm going to get shot. I'm going to get an infection. I'm going to die. I don't want any of this shit. I swear you, dude. Just let me be a dude. Like, no. He gets up there on the stage, like, for the next round of voting, pulls down his pants and just spreads open his fucking butthole like goatsy. Goatsy. Wow. That is a nice beehole. Vote for him for President Garfield. Yes. We love lasagna. You know who else didn't want to be president and show us his asshole? George Washington. Let's nominate this motherfucker right here. <laughs> yeah, well, luckily for Grant at this time, they actually listened to him. Like, <laughs> they did. Okay, fine. Lincoln it is. He's likely to serve out second term yes, and really for sure. enact a lot of policy. After I mean, his first term is such a, a hit show success. Right. We'd be dumb not to reelect him. You're right, right. Grant. Four more years. Four more years. <laughs> John Wilkes Booth is like, four more months. Fuck that guy. <laughs> Jesus. Well, for all intents and purposes, Lee's army was now contained to the cities of Richmond and Petersburg. Russia? Yes. Uh, St. Petersburg. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. I got to confuse. Nope, Florida. Nope, it's Russia. Florida. Yes. <laughs> In June... Grant snuck his army across the James River to threaten Petersburg. He then attempted to take that city, but his direct assaults failed, and so he had to enter into another siege. To do so, he extended his lines all around the city, which forced Lee to mirror him and stretch himself dangerously thin. Meanwhile, Grant gave Sherman carte blanche to go to Atlanta and fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. Both were big believers in total war, so Sherman headed for Georgia, destroying anything he didn't need for his army, including the railroads, and making quick work out of the limited Confederate resistance that was present. Yeah, and we've said total war a couple times, and basically that means if your army's at war with us, your whole country, your whole society is at war with us. So you are all fair fucking game. And so what Sherman did is if he needed it for his army, he was taking it. If he didn't need it, he was burning the shit out of it. Fuck you guys. You can't have it if we don't need it. Yeah, and this would include, like, you know, going down that railroad, disassembling the rails. If there's a nearby house that has a lot of wood, all right, well, let's disassemble that motherfucker, make a big bonfire, throw those rails on it, and then twist them around nearby trees yeah. so they can't <laughs> just be reassembled into the rail. Right, yeah. So you have people put out a house and home. I mean, I can empathize with the people, but yeah. when it's At total war, time. it's fucking total war. Man. Yeah. Like, it's, it it's like It's like the, uh, you know, one of our favorite series, Band of Brothers, like the end of that, where they're in the German towns and the German towns are all bombed to shit and you're supposed to feel sorry for the German populace, but then there's the concentration camp nearby. It's like, how the fuck did you not know this is happening? Like, your job now is to clean up your city and, you know, help these people who have been liberated. And that's kind of the same thing that was happening here. Like, all these emancipated slaves are now flocking to Sherman's army, like, just asking for help and assistance. And he's like, okay, we'll help you. But to feed you, we're going to have to steal everything these motherfuckers have. And we're going to burn down everything that we don't need because fuck them because of what they've been doing to you. Yeah. But, of course, we'll get into that more if we ever do a show on Sherman, that crazy motherfucker. We will. We will. Well, by September 2nd, the smoldering ruins of Atlanta were in Union hands. In the Shenandoah Valley, 
Phil Sheridan and his cavalry did the same thing and had it captured by mid-October. Grant held Petersburg under siege while Sherman continued his march from Atlanta to Savannah wrecking the absolute shit out of the Georgian infrastructure. He captured Savannah by Christmas, and then in early 1865, when Grant suggested he return to Virginia by boat, he decided he'd much rather march through South Carolina and fuck that state up too. After all, they had started the war. Over the following months, Lee held onto Petersburg and Richmond as tightly as he could. Grant viewed this as a military blunder, saying that if Lee had abandoned Richmond, he could have prolonged the war for another year. And, you know, some people are like, oh, why do it for another year? Yeah. Well, Timmy, it's because <laughs> uh, if you prolong the war, especially as a, a losing force, you get to do things like sue for peace, you know, mm-hmm. get get better terms. And in the case of the Confederacy, maybe be an independent nation, although crippled and a fraction of what you wanted to be. Yeah. Maybe you get that. It, the longer you draw it out, the more that um, that war wear is messing with the psychology of the citizens of the North to where – and they're kind of already at this point. Like they're sick of this war. They don't want to be sending their people down there. And so it makes a lot of sense that that could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one of the Lee's biggest blunders is just he's like, okay, I've, he was so attached to land and cities that he couldn't just draw the war out. You know, one of the great things that George Washington did as a general is realize that cities and you know landmarks don't fucking matter at all. It's about the size of the army and where we fight you and when we fight you. And Lee didn't realize that, and that was his biggest failing, I at least in my opinion. Because like you said, if he'd drawn out for another year, who knows? You know, at some point, maybe they, they get tired of Grant just throwing people up against a fucking buzzsaw. So you're losing too many goddamn dudes in this fight. And the war ends up differently. But uh, luckily, he didn't do that. Well, yeah. And as it was, Lee's men starved and were picked off one by one by snipers and artillery fire. And they began to abandon the army in droves. On April 2nd, Lee attempted to break out of the siege as Union troops stormed into Petersburg and Richmond. His attempt to escape was stopped outside of the town of Appomattox Station. At this point, Lee knew it was over. The Confederacy was dead, and it was time to surrender. Wolf Dick, give me something. (laughs) Fuck the Confederacy, Greg. Yeah. On April 9th, 1865... Robert E. Lee, wearing a fancy uniform with gold thread, officially surrendered to Ulysses S. Grant, who was wearing an old coat, no rank insignia, and muddy boots. The Civil War was over. Grant, through his insistence to keep fighting and never let up, had led the North to victory and had brought the United States back together. What would happen next for old Ulysses S. Grant? Well... Guess you'll have to listen next week to find out. End of the middle of the story. <laughs> Woo! We did it. No one thought we could. They were like, okay, you got through part one, but part two is going to be tricky. going to be a real little fucking minefield. But Not going to happen. Tiptoe <laughs> through that motherfucker. You were wrong. <laughs> You're always wrong, dissident listener. All right, yeah, we did it. It was good. 
I enjoyed it. I think that was a very fun, educational, a funny educational episode, how you would say, if you were drunk at the end of a podcast. (laughs) Okay. But now we have a little bit more to go, so it's time for Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Following the Battle of Shiloh, Grant was temporarily replaced by General Henry Halleck, who planned to attack and take Corinth himself. His movements were incredibly slow, and he insisted on building defensive fortifications every time he stopped. By the time he got to Corinth, he'd found the Confederates had slipped away during the night and had taken everything of value with them. Fast Fact Number 2 On December 17, 1862, Grant showed he wasn't all sunshine and rainbows and equality when he issued General Orders Number 11, which forbade any government dealings with Jewish peoples and actually forced the relocation of Jewish families. Hmm. Yeah. Lincoln forced Grant to revoke this order, but no worries, because Grant asked for forgiveness on his deathbed. That's all you gotta do. That's all you gotta do. (laughs) Praise Jesus Christ. Fast fact number three. Following the Battle of Cold Harbor, Grant asked for a temporary truce to gather his dead and wounded. Robert E. Lee said he wouldn't accept anything but a full truce. The two argued for two full days before coming to an agreement. In that time span, all but two wounded men died on the battlefield. Fast fact number four. Toward the end of the war, both Robert E. Lee and Confederate President Jefferson Davis proposed buying slaves who would then be forced into military service and who would be freed if the South won. All the Southern racists thought this was a god-awful idea because they had been fighting for years to keep from freeing said slaves. All right, that does it for the second part of the Grant story. We're going to come back next week and wrap this thing up. Talk about his presidency and as Greg already fucking told you, his death, apparently. Guess that's going to happen soon. Sorry for the spoilers. Broke my heart in the middle of this story, but that's okay. But yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do it right. But in the meantime, you can find us at 100 Proof History on all your social medias. You can also go to 100proofhistory.com. You can find all of our episodes there, except for the old episodes, which are hidden on the Patreon. And you can find that at 100 Proof History as well. For just $3 a month, you get the old episodes. You get like, I don't know, we did like 60 freaking mini episode hangovers. And now we're doing the new hangovers, which is us talking about current events, our lives, just having a loosey goosey, have good fun feels time just riffing on it boys and girls just riffing on it just riffing on it uh i think it's fun i think it's really good and you guys should check it out in the meantime i am your sexy host christopher for our esteemed invalid producer wolf dick for our sexy time and space traveling hand puppet uh hand bone i would like to thank you all for listening and I would ask you, the main host of this show, you know, the, the straw that stirs the drink, 
the oil in the machine, the thing that keeps this all going, main host Gregory, what else? I dreamed a dream of times gone by. (laughs) And by by, I mean goodbye. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. No. Okay. Okay. Voice is not angelic. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Twinkies. That are also twinks. <laughs> Not anymore. I'm definitely a daddy now. <laughs> Move past that part of my life, I guess. <laughs> Following the Battle of Shiloh, Grant was temporarily replaced by General... God damn it. I start... My prose is so fucking pro. So good. Just... So good. Mm. Mm. Chef's kiss to myself. <laughs> yeah. Except right now you're editing you're like, shut up. Yeah, it's good. Just shut shut up. myself. No, I'm putting this at the fucking end. Okay. <laughs> bam, 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 bam.